0: We have seen increased growth uh, in the past years. Every year, we've added actually not just more in absolute terms, but also more percentually.
1: Welcome to the Prosperity Perspective by DML. A conversation about how successful business owners invest their hard-earned money to preserve their wealth, and what they might have done differently in hindsight. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Today, we are joined by Jeroen Korthout and uh, excited for him to share a little bit about his journey and his experience and uh, some of the tidbits that he's got to leave with you guys today. So without further ado, Jeroen, you want to introduce yourself to the audience?
0: Uh, Sure. Happy to be here. I'm uh, I'm Jeroen Korthout, co-founder and CEO of SalesFlare. And say very quickly what Salesforce does it's a it's a an easier crm what is crm the customer relationship management uh system um for small and medium-sized businesses who sell b2b so basically if you're uh want to follow up leads in a better way and you sort of hate that you always have to do a lot of data input in a crm system to make that work Uh, this is the issue we solve because Salesforce. Automates all that data input and make sure that the system tracks the customers for you, and you can just talk to the customers.
1: Have you always been on the entrepreneurial tech side?
0: Um, first of all, um, more or less. <laughs> I when I was a teenager, I um, I made websites, and um, that was a little techie. But what I liked. Mostly about it, I think, was the design aspect and the working with customers. Uh I did then study engineering, um, which was uh initially uh initially I thought computer engineering, but that seemed a little nerdy. Uh then I did electrical uh, electronical engineering, which was actually as nerdy in a in a way. Um and I specialized in biomedical engineering. Um then I went applying for jobs and the jobs were very techy and very little with customers. So I didn't really like uh, the opportunities and I studied business school. And then I actually started in a marketing position. So I went the full opposite direction, um, very non techy marketing. Uh, it was in a, a pharma company called Baxter. It's a, it's a US company. Uh, um, it was in Belgium. And um, that's where I sort of, at uh, some point because people were so low tech, and uh, that I understood there was an opportunity. <laughs> and uh, I thought I'm gonna start a company that uh, helps these people with uh, building websites and beyond that, all the digital stuff. Uh, because in the, the people in the marketing roles were, were like former salespeople always, because pharma marketing has always been traditionally very sales driven. Um, and also the world shifts and you have the internet and stuff and they don't know anymore how that works. Uh, but then I had dinner with a guy and apparently he had a company that did that. And he said, join me, I'll teach you everything. So I did that. Um, and then, um, again, I, I, I always wanted to start my own company, uh, you know, entrepreneurial, uh, um, and, um, I tried a bunch of things. Um, I've always taken it from the business perspective, but I've always been deep in the tech side as well. Uh, now I, i I've never built no that's not true um at Salesforce, i've never touched the code of Salesforce. <laughs> uh in previous places I, I projects i i did make the mistake of doing it it is not my main skill uh so it's a bad thing when i start uh spending my time there um one time it was a good idea that's because it was a It was not very techy. It was not software. It was more of a blog project. And there I went very technical as well. But that actually helps me until today um, because I I got a lot of SEO experience there. But that was a very uh, complicated answer to your question uh, whether I'm like more on the the tech side or the... (laughs) yeah yeah.
1: so when you were at baxter and the marketing that you were doing you're talking about the sales folks um was it more b2c uh where you're at the end user or was it more b2b where you're going to doctors and uh you know offices etc uh
0: pharma companies um uh, they cannot even talk to patients that's a very early mistake i made and my boss was very angry at me um, because uh my my first job one of the main responsibilities i had was uh a drug for hemophilia and i knew that the son of a person i knew had hemophilia so i i started talking with him about it and stuff and you know like i want to make that connection but that was not done yeah. we were not supposed to do anything directly with the patients um regulatory like uh, clear line um we were only supposed to uh, talk to uh, doctors and pharmacists this is in the pharma industry the over-the-counter, where it's not prescription-based, is a whole other space. And actually, uh, Europe and the U.S. are also two wildly different places in that respect. Um, but generally, prescription pharma companies don't talk to patients. And all well, the line is, 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 is a little different in the U.S. In the, and so in so in, in the U.S., people can uh, set up websites to educate patients way more than you can do in Europe, for instance. Uh but that's again a complicated answer to your simple question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh so you've mentioned Europe, you've mentioned Belgium. Where are you located and kind of what's your uh geographic background?
0: Um I was actually I was born in the US um many many years ago. Um uh, in New York State. Uh but from Belgian parents, it was just my my dad uh, has worked in many different places. Uh, for a company called Philips. It's a Dutch company. Um, We lived in the US. We moved back to Belgium in Flanders, where they speak Dutch. Then we moved to Wallonia, where they speak French. Uh, We moved back. And I lived in a a bunch of cities. I also studied for a while in uh, in Italy, in Milan. Uh, But currently, my home is in Antwerp. And Antwerp is, um, imagine, you probably know Brussels. It's like 30 minutes uh, north. It's the second biggest city of Belgium after Brussels. It's the, the main city of the, of the region where they speak uh, Dutch. And it's a big port city. Uh, it's, uh, and it's, it's not, I said big, but uh, from a U.S. perspective, it's relatively small. Uh, it's more like a half a million people, uh, to everything around it. But it is the second biggest port of, uh, of Europe after Rotterdam. It is uh, the place where uh, 80% of the diamonds in the world pass through because we have a big diamond center very close to our office. Um, it is uh, a fashion capital and uh, a few other things. Um, very cool. I feel like I'm overcomplicating everything and every answer now.
1: And It's all right. It gives us context, right? And uh, <laughs> perspective, which I think is hugely important. So um, as we jump into the main question, right? One as you started to experience success and you had more and more profitability, right? Didn't have to worry about roof over the ta- uh, roof over the head, food on the table. Mm-hmm. You know, what was your framework in terms of where you started investing? You know, your money. Did you pour it back into the business? Did you look to, uh, you know, invest in the in the equity markets, the stock markets? Like, where did you put your money, and kind of what drove uh, or what drives that decision making?
0: Honestly, I don't think our framework has changed between when we were not profitable and uh, from the moment we were profitable. Um, it has always been reinvesting in the in the, the business. Um, but um, we are a SaaS company, software as a service. And the software as a service model uh, requires an enormous amount of investment. So we have been investing from the beginning uh, because essentially uh, the old... The old way of selling uh, software was like, you want software. Uh, I I tell you, uh, this is this is what we're going to build, and it's going to cost that much. And you pay maybe half up front or half and half at the end, whatever what the, the payment terms are. But there's, there's money pretty quickly. Then there was a model uh, after that, before uh, SaaS became uh, the standard, where um, you would pay a, a big sum and then maintenance uh most of the money was made in the beginning and it was software that i built once and then sold to multiple people often it's still with customization because the model would take that now SaaS is a totally different thing basically we build software and you only start paying after we build it um, and then you don't pay us at once you pay us in very small amounts over a long period of time as long as you use it so that means that we uh make a lot of investments uh, first um, and then people start paying us. Now, the interesting thing about the model is, um, is uh, there's not much customization needed and every additional customer doesn't uh, cost as much. So it's it that means that after a while, after going through this whole investment cycle, uh, we actually start getting good returns. Now... <laughs> We are at that point getting these good returns and what we want to make sure is that uh people stay happy people get uh more value so we keep actually building the same way as we were building before maybe a bit less no it's not true it's actually just the same as before so we have uh, investment areas we expand functionality we make sure that uh, anything that's wrong with the software is 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 solved. It could be bugs, or it could be just uh, not not that it's broken, but it just could be better improvements. Um, and it's making sure that it's, it's just always easier for new customers to get on board. And that's it's a it's a continuous building process. Um, so we actually we do very little routine work or so. We're always building uh, the product. And next to that, we're also always building uh, our, our marketing channels and the content we create around it and uh, all of these things. Uh, it's a continuous uh, sort of reinvestment story. And uh, you're asking, did I put it in a stock market or so? Now, <laughs> my money uh, is in Salesforce. Uh, actually, most of it, the large bulk of my money is in Salesflare. I do have some money. Uh, I mean, I, I pay myself a little money, with which I can uh, pay off this uh, nice apartment here and all that. But it's really uh, not 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 a comparable sum. Um, so reinvesting in the business is the short answer.
1: So as the business has grown and you're more and more profitable, right? Are you just reinvesting more and more from an absolute dollar perspective back into the company, uh, or does you know some of that get siphoned off and you just so I guess where I'm going on this is twofold. One, do you, when you say it's consistent, is it consistently the same dollar amount year over year or is it consistently the same percentage year over year or is it just consistently take as much as we can and we have and just dump it back into the company?
0: Currently, it makes more space for extra investment in the company. Um, whether that's going to be a long-term thing where at some point we cannot just also pay ourselves a little more, I don't know be uh but so far it's uh it's the amount that we reinvest in the company that also increases
1: has that resulted in accelerated growth for you and increased profitability along the
0: lines um in short yes i think so um we have seen increased growth uh, in the past years every year we've added actually not just more in absolute terms, but also more percentually. Um, so for us, it's it's a very calculable kind of thing, as because we're selling subscriptions. Uh, it's really a, a, a numbers game to a certain extent. We have there's customers joining us, uh, there's customers growing their amount of users, or or upgrading their plans, or <laughs> removing users and and downgrading their plans, uh, and we have people leaving us. And um, so we adds this recurring revenue. I can tell very exactly what we're going to earn next month, what costs we're going to have, and also it's uh, a and, and 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 while that happens, I can also decide. Oh, this is how much we're extra spend on this. This is we can we can make a new website with that. We can you know uh, this is this can all be planned. Uh, much easier than if if we were running, let's say, uh, a consulting business or so, where you're very dependent on the on the projects that come in. Uh, for us, it's, it's really growing that recurring revenue.
1: At what point does that reinvestment start to change or taper off, right? I imagine at some point you're going to have diminishing returns, right? When the more you put in, you're not getting the same uh, level of growth out, right? And so... Have you guys thought about where that uh, where that point is, and where you start to shift focus when that happens?
0: Um, I think we're gonna feel it. <laughs> as long as we feel that uh, uh, investing more pays off, I think we're gonna keep doing it. If we if we start feeling that it it starts tapering off, there's there's two options: either we don't <laughs> invest more. Uh, or we just rethink how we're reinvesting things uh, because we might not be putting it in the right things anymore. We might not be prioritizing things well, um, but we're not at that point yet. So,
1: What, uh, as you think through, you know, some of the people who might be listening who are involved in the tech space and kind of startup uh, and getting involved, right? You mentioned the SaaS model, heavy investment on the front end kind of what recommendations or feedback do you have uh, to some of the listeners who are, you know, getting involved in that space or started in that space and obviously need a big lump sum and heavy, you know, reinvestment from a capital perspective to uh, stay up to speed. Um, you know, how, how have you been successful and what tips would you provide?
0: Um, I would say, uh, obviously, uh, try to keep the raises. Resist- advice that you'll you'll find in our place as well but keep the keep that initial investment limited uh, try to work out an mVP uh, as quick as possible don't build a huge thing and then go to the market and say what do you guys think uh, you, you always start with the, the the easiest way to validate so you start with customer interviews uh, to really understand what people want then you make something simple then you increase increase and increase and um, that's the way to go. I must say, despite this uh, advice that most people I think get, uh, I still see companies doing the opposite. Uh, Building a ton of product and hiring a big team, also a dumb idea. Um, uh, Very early on, I think in my mind, the amount of companies that were with us in the startup incubator and accelerator that actually did that, and raised a lot of money to do that and then eventually failed um and then we're stuck with all the the, the sort of the things that were attached to the fact that they <laughs> raised that money um is pretty high um so definitely don't do that uh, make sure that you uh, raise money in a in an intelligent way and it. Uh, Also, uh, don't raise from VC funds right away also. Um, I think people are getting smarter at it, but still uh, it often seems when you're in the um, startup sphere that um, raising from VCs is uh, a measure of success. Uh, It is not. It is um, a way of having resources to be successful. But it's not a measure of success. It's not because that always comes in the press that this is the way to make it. Uh, It's actually a a dangerous track for many companies uh, because when you do that, you basically are telling uh, people that you can become a huge company. And the moment you raise that first round, it puts you on that track to raise more rounds. Not raising the next round is a failure, it's a failure for the first. VC that stepped in, uh, it's a failure for you because they're, got, they're going to be gone with most of your company um, because there's all kinds of, in these contracts, lots of things attached. Uh, there's other and better ways of raising money. Um, if you want, we have a whole uh, masterclass on our blog on startup funding. Uh, it's a lot of content which I won't be able to cover now. If you just type in Google startup funding uh, sales flare, uh, you'll get to the the summary post and you can go to all of them um don't hire too fast uh, it's very important most companies do that also partly because uh, you think you hire more people you get more done it's not necessarily the case first of all uh, secondly uh, because then they can tell well we already employ that many employ that many people and it's it sort of feels like a measure of success so always think you need to hire but hiring uh, comes with a lot of uh, issues. Um, it makes that you're actually slower at um, iterating on things. Um, it makes that you are spending a lot of time on the hiring and on onboarding people. And it's really a, a very uh, work intensive process. Um, and often it's just better talking about processes uh, to improve your processes, to get more done with less people uh, and to prioritize a little better instead of adding an extra person. Um, And then generally for SaaS, uh, I think the most important advice is uh, stay very close to your customers. Um, The most common mistake is just making a website with sign up here and then let people do whatever they want from there without ever being close to it uh, from the start. I mean, at some point you can do that, when you have figured out uh, who your customers are, what the context is, uh, how w- what they're thinking when they sign up, what the kind of problems they they go through when they try to sign up, what what the first thing is they're trying to do, what the first thing is they're looking for, when you when you understand everything, um, that's something you can you can you can go towards to make that one sort of um, um, uh, seamless experience, uh, frictionless, n- no need for you or so. Uh, but it's hardly ever a great idea to do that from the start, because if you are there with the customer and going through all these things, um, throughout that whole process, and you can, you can learn all these things and you can see what's going wrong and you can adapt and you can make it really great. Uh, that's improves your chance of being successful, uh, a lot, uh,
1: So a couple of things I want to dive into. You mentioned MVP. I assume that means minimum viable product. Yeah,
0: sorry. Sorry. um,
1: Just to get essentially something that works, get it out, test, learn, iterate, continue to move from that regard, I imagine, where you were headed. Mm -hmm. Um, You had mentioned startups and incubators and also VC, right? So uh, it sounds like you went through a startup incubator. Uh, In my experience, most of those tend to be backed by VCs or angel guys, who are Mm -hmm. looking to put funds in, right? So kind of a reverse incentive based on what you're communicating. But, uh,
0: you know. Depends, yeah. Many of them are are, um, uh, propelled, not necessarily funded, but they have all kinds of stuff going on, either with VCs uh, or with partners that want to sell you stuff or with politicians. Uh, So they're always going to gravitate towards one of these directions or all of them at the same time um, even though they they try to help you you always need to keep that in mind uh, that is not you that they're trying to help uh, because from that you're not going to make enough money uh, keeping a, a startup accelerator or incubator alive is a is a challenge by itself uh, so but if you if you understand that as a startup and you know this is like This is not for us. This is for this other uh, stakeholder they have um, that uh, is going to make you less distracted uh, by the wrong things.
1: Makes a lot of sense. What, if you were to give one piece of advice, right? Uh, We've obviously talked about fundraising and what that looks like for entrepreneurs, particularly in the tech world, Mm -hmm. gone through your entrepreneurial journey, you know, what's been the most important thing for your success?
0: i'll I'll summarize some of the things i said um uh, hire slow uh, prioritize well uh, validate quickly um and uh keep a good eye on your uh, available amount of cash uh, because those are all the common places uh, where it can go uh, most wrong Um, if you if you keep all of these things in mind religiously which is which is hard uh your your chance probably increases tenfold or so
1: that's awesome You're as we're wrapping up here what's the best way for our listeners to get back in touch with you
0: uh if you want to get in touch uh well if you want to learn more about Salesware salesflare.com so f-l-a-r-e um if you're looking for a better way to follow up your customers try our software you just uh, go to the site sign up uh and you can try everything out uh, free for a while Um, And if you want to get in touch with me, uh, LinkedIn is the best place. There's only one person with my exact name, so it won't be too hard. You will find my name somewhere because it's difficult to, I'm not going to spell it uh, right now, but it's complicated. But then uh, send me a connection request with a personal message. And if you do that, I will be able to distinguish that personal request from spam and I will get in touch with you and we can chat.
1: Awesome. Appreciate your time on the show you're on and uh, appreciate the insights you shared.
0: You're welcome. This was fun for me as well. Thank you for
1: joining us today on the Prosperity Perspective. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, please head over to the ProsperityPerspective.com, where you can hear from other successful business owners on their approach to investments. On our website, you'll be able to learn more about how DML Capital currently helps other business owners, like yourself, diversify their investments and grow their wealth. Take our short quiz to see if you're ready to take the next steps towards your financial success.